Hello. Hey, it worked that time. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Where are you? I'm on the beautiful island of Maui. No kidding. Right here where Kihei fades into Wailea. Hmm. Mm, yeah, right at the crossroads. I went down to the crossroads between Kihei and Wailea. Uh, I come here every year. My uncle comes here every year, and he comes here for several months because he's an Alaskan. He's an Alaskan who can manage to come to Hawaii for the winter. And uh, Uncle Jack will be 93 in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. So uh, I come and hang out and listen to stories of the good old days of my dad and and uh i i bring my little girl and she gets to know her uncle you know he's the last of that generation still right. alive in right, my right. family so 93 though that's some some uh great great lifespan there yeah he's a he was always an athlete he and my dad both were real athletic guys and uh so but you know 93 Life beats you up. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So I think after the program today, we're going to, I've been trying to get in touch with his doctor here and they don't answer their phone. So we're going to go on a doctor finding mission. Oh yeah. What, what, does he need, need some care? Yeah. A little care. So we all need a little care. Hawaii, Maui, Oahu, Kauai, 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 uh, Molokai, Molokai, Mo- Molokai, yeah, Len- Lanai. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're doing good, Dan. Nihao, Nihao. That's the Chinese word, Nihao. Well, you know, all of these uh, pronunciations are the um, the Howley pronunciations. Sure. And wait, there's yeah. one more, uh, Kahoolawi. Mm, good. Did I get it right? <laughs> as good as I would have gotten. All right. I know that's in order of, of, of size. That's right. And the last one you mentioned, Kahalo, Yeah. I'm, I'm really bad unless it's right in front of me. Uh, that is an uninhabited island that was used as a Navy bombing range for 50 years. And uh, so it's, I can see it from where I am. It's oh, really? right across, the, right across the, the bay here. And it's sort of tantalizing, but you're not allowed on it because it's covered with unexploded bombs. Really? Yeah. Wow. My Hawaiian pronunciations are, and have always been, really bad. But I have friends who are great at it, and you can, I mean, they can read a sign and and just make it sound so, so, so beautiful, so fluid. But I just, you know, I have a hard enough time pronouncing words already. And uh, there are just a lot of glottal stops in Hawaiian that I can't, I can't manage to make through. So no, you know, I, I don't, I don't make an attempt to, uh, to put any like accent spin on it. Right. So I was looking when, when you told me that you were in Maui uh, before. I had to look up and see, I mean, I know where the Hawaiian islands are, but I didn't know where they were in reference to like the bikini atoll where they did the uh, hydrogen bomb testing. A long way from there. And it looks, yeah, it looks like a very, very long way. It looks like, like the distance from the, you know, the, um, the Eastern edge of China to like the Western edge of Turkey kind of distance This is pretty far. Maybe yeah, not quite that far, but it's pretty far. The distances out here are, considerable in the Pacific ocean. I mean, yeah, which is, you know, one of the appeals of it, but it, it takes five hours to get here from Seattle. Yeah. And, uh, it always took about that long to get here from Anchorage. Um, I have no idea how long it takes to get here from LA or San Francisco, but Hawaii really is a travel commitment. Even if you're coming from the closest place, on the continental United States for people in New York to go to Hawaii, it's a 10 hour flight. They could be in Morocco, you know, Mm -hmm. they could, 
there are a lot of places you could choose to go. And so you don't, you see a lot of people from the West out here, but it's, it's more unusual to see vacationers from New York or from Texas, for instance. I mean, what kind of, what's, what's life like in Maui anyway? I mean, is it, is it just like any big city or there's, is it very different? No, there's no city here. The only city in the state of Hawaii would be Honolulu. Right. And that is a small city. The rest of the towns are towns. And, um, when I was a kid, Maui was, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, a, a lot of the streets in the s- suburbs of Anchorage were still dirt. And, um, and there was just a lot of undeveloped land in Anchorage. And that was true in Maui too. A lot of dirt streets and a lot of just wide open country. They still had pineapples and sugarcane here as their main crops and coffee and it felt agricultural now it's very much a vacation place i don't think that they grow sugar cane here anymore or pineapples or coffee in any kind of major scale it's mostly just oriented around coming and um relaxing right We would like to say thank you very much to Joybird. Have you heard about the revolution in online furniture shopping and Joybird, the company that is behind it all? Joybird believes that you should never settle when it comes to your home furnishings. You should always have the freedom to be boldly original. From idea to reality, they empower you to create the space and furniture that brings you joy. With Joybird, you get one-of-a-kind furniture made to your unique taste with hundreds of styles and options. From mid-century modern to contemporary classics, customizable in a ton of fabric choices. You get uh, amazing leather and plush velvets to every color you can imagine. And they also have a wide range of kid and pet-friendly upholstery options available for the pieces that need a little extra durability. And if you're not sure what you need, that's normal, right? Joybird provides you with their free personal design consultants that will help you nail down the perfect design for your space. Each Joybird piece is made by hand with care and precision using high-quality wood and responsibly sourced materials to fit your exact specifications with a limited lifetime warranty included. And with Joybird, they give you a 365-day home trial. So skip the furniture store, bring the showroom home, hassle-free in-home delivery. They'll even remove all the packing materials for you. You get to sit on it, sleep on it, break it in, and if you don't love it, return it for a full refund and returns are free within two weeks of delivery. Pretty awesome. See how Joybird is revolutionizing online furniture shopping and create the furniture that brings you joy today at joybird.com slash roadwork. That's right, joybird, J-O-I-B-I-R-D, joybird.com slash roadwork, and you will receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order if you use the code roadwork. So go check it out and get some cool furniture. Uh, and the, you know, there's a massive class, uh, divide between the people that are here on vacation and the people whose property faces the beach and the people who live on Maui and work on Maui and are regular, either Hawaiian people or, or the, um, kind of human flotsam that washes up on these far, far flung places. I mean, Anchorage used to be like this too. The only people that end up in the people that grew up in Pennsylvania, but end up living in Maui <laughs> definitely, definitely were running from something at some point. Really? I mean, is it, can you, can you run from stuff and successfully like hide out in, in the islands there? Oh, you sure could have now it's expensive. Mm. So you can run from stuff as long as you can afford an $8 loaf of bread is really Um, that much just because everything is so expensive to import. Yeah. Everything has to come here over great distances of ocean. Yeah. But it's still, you know, it's, um, it's an Island where the temperature really doesn't vary that much 
over 12 months of the year. So in the hottest month, your daily average is going to be 82. Mm. And in the coldest month, your daily average is going to be 79. <laughs> right. Um, so it's totally great here. Uh, and if you get into the spirit of not being in a hurry and not really needing to do anything, it can be really profound. But I think the the influx, the you know, the massive, massive influx of money and and tourism, it, it makes it harder to get super aloha here just because there are so many more people and they're all competing for a, a pretty small amount of space. Sure. But I'm working super hard to get my aloha together. Yeah. Because I'm going to be here for, I mean, I've already been here for, 12 days or something and I'm rounding the corner and I'll, I'll be here for 18 or 19 days. So that's a long time for me to be in a, in a kind of forced meditation. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to like get chill. It's a very different vibe from the Caribbean the islands down there and the mentality and the sort of, you know, like whatever you would describe that as the Irie vibe of, of, um, the West Indies. It's just not, it's, it's not the same, although they do listen to reggae music now on Hawaii. Oh yeah. Is that new? I think, <laughs> I, no, but I think, I think reggae became the music of the beach globally at some point, it was recognized that the the rhythms of reggae were very compatible with ocean waves. So I don't think you can escape it. I bet you if you go to Goa right now, they're playing reggae. They used to play house music in Goa, but and they may still, but I bet you there's plenty of reggae there too. Anyway, that's what I'm doing. You know, I've just been... Uh, Walking and boogie boarding and snorkeling. And those are all very healthy things. I don't know. I don't know when the last time it was that you turned yourself completely off or turned the volume way down on everything. But when you're, when you go snorkeling every day, you, it's like, it's any, I think any time that I'm in a position where I can just wade out into the ocean and the ocean is warm enough that I can just sort of float there and <laughs> right. look out look out onto the horizon, something in me at least, and I think this is true for a lot of people, uh, starts to ask pretty simple questions like, what else is there? I mean, you know, or what I'm sorry phrased both ways. What else is there? And also what else is there? Um, I can feel pretty complete for short bursts, mm -hmm. just floating and, and looking out at the ocean. Um, it doesn't take long when you, when you return to the world to get all back embroiled in your, in your business. But when I'm home, when I'm in Seattle, it's very difficult for me to get that, uh, to disconnect that hard. Right. Cause like everything's right there in front of you and, and at your, at your disposal, you know, sorry, there's a rooster here. I hear he's, him. Prob he's probably gonna, gonna lay in uh, a couple of like uh, what he thinks are pretty cool tracks. Yeah. That's him. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's bad for podcasting, but it's, it's, you know, it's good. I think once in a while. Do you remember a long time ago uh, when I had my office downtown, there was a lot of seagull noise in some of my tracks because the seagulls would perch outside my office window and scream at each other. Here, there's a, um, there's an enormous population of wild, feral, inedible 
chickens and roosters and they just mate like crazy and nobody wants them. Um, but you know, and they're not, it's not that they're domesticated chickens. I've discovered that they are like ancient birds, the red, like jungle fowl. You mean that they're native to the Island? Well, they've just been there so long that they've sort of become their own thing. Uh, they were brought here by the Polynesians before chickens were, um, before chickens had become what they are now. Right. Like these are closer, more closely related to the ancient chickens of Thailand than they are related to the dumb chickens that, that Tyson murders by the millions. Anyway, I would like to murder these chickens by the millions because they are an absolute pest. But uh, there's not really a ton of – Hawaii doesn't have a lot of top predators on land. And for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but the mongooses do not kill the chickens. If I was a mongoose, I would weigh 50 pounds. I would, have, I would eat chicken every day. Yeah. But the mongooses are – I don't know what they're eating. They're not killing the rats and they're not eating the chickens. I don't, I don't, I don't get the ecology here. I mean, rather I don't get the ecology of introduced species and how they interact with each other here. Sure. Now you don't, you don't have the all black chickens there. The, uh, Ayam Simanis. Uh, there are I, the, a lot of the fledgling chickens, the teenage chickens are all black, but the roosters are gorgeous. I mean, they're just phenomenal. But I'm uh, talking about the ones that like are they're, they're black. The beak is black. Their their feet are black. The organs inside of them are black. I don't. I don't. Because if don't you could bring that. some of those back, you'd make a small fortune with those. They sell for thousands. No, like I say, the teenagers look like that, but they're not pretty. They look like the teenage chickens do do not look like they belong in the same family as their mothers and fathers. Ah, I see. They just look like, what kind of bird is that? Oh, right. it's a big, it's a big chicken baby. Anyway, there are a lot of things that make a lot of noise around here. Uh, but part of be, part of me getting aloha is being fine with all that. I went for a long walk yesterday and I decided I was going to walk through the resort area. Down in Wailea, it's a massive development that, Mostly wasn't there when I was a kid. It mm. was mostly just wild country. And now it is one ha huge hotel resort complex after another. The Four Seasons, the Fairmont, the, uh, I mean, every, every hotel chain. And that, and that's the fancy hotels. It's not the days in, it's the, you know, the big all inclusive resort complexes and mm -hmm. Dawes, all these things just sort of one after another, each one has its own cove and they sit up on these, these volcanic cliffs. And because the law in Hawaii says that all the beaches, I mean, you can have a big mansion on a beach, but all of the, the beachfront is public land here. You can't fence off the beach. And so winding its way in the front yard of every one of these giant hotels is a public path that just bobs and weaves. And so in, in walking last night, you know, I walked about five miles through these hotels and they were all because they're all inclusive, the people that were there aren't going anywhere else. You know, they, they land at the airport, a, some kind of shuttle vehicle picks them up, brings them to their hotel, they check in, and then everything is there. Food, uh, drinks, beach, pool, there are bands playing Hawaiian music, there are big cookouts on the beach, it's... Um, you know, it's each one of them is set up to give you the, the feeling that you're in paradise. Mm -hmm. And I was walking along sort of in the, in the hour 
before and after sunset. So sunset is very important in Hawaii. Oh. Um, generally when the sun dips below the horizon for the last time, um, the tradition at least around here is to blow on a conch or conch shell. So when the sun finally, everybody's watching the sun as it finally dips below the surface, you hear this coming from all across the island. So cool. What a fun tradition. Have you ever blown a conch shell? No, I stand around while other people are. Oh, they're fun. They're easy to do too. I imagine. No, it's not a, it's not, you know, like I, there's a, there's a lot in the tropics, both here and in the Caribbean, that's oriented around being drunk. And a lot of that stuff seems to me to be like, oh, yeah, it's the it's like, how'd you get a hold of a conch shell? And it's just like, I'm shit-faced. <laughs> or, you know, like part of the great thing about being on vacation for a lot of people is that you can already be drunk by 2 p.m. And you feel like it's allowed uh, because that's what vacation means to a, to a, a large percentage of the people of the world. Like I'm on vacation, which means I can drink. Yeah. I, so I the, think that's the direct and not to interrupt what you're saying, but I, I want to say something that is completely in support of what you're saying too. And that the last time that we went to some kind of like one year, we wanted to go to this, uh, we wanted to stay in, in state for like a summer vacation. So we went to San Antonio and there's this huge resort. I'm not a resort person, but we went to it anyway. And it's this huge resort in San Antonio. That's of course it's all landlocked, but they have constructed one of those huge many, you know, there's five pools and there's one of those lazy rivers that goes all around them. And there's, you know, amazing, really, really high end buffet food that, is like what you'd get at a gourmet restaurant somewhere and like foodies love this place. And every single day we'd go down to the pool at, you know, eight thirty nine in the morning and be deserted. And by the time that we were done and it was lunchtime, we'd be leaving, everybody would be showing up and they would, I mean, it was all about drinking. Yeah. Uh, I, I, all ages were there, but every single adult was drinking and they would just drink all day until, yeah. until they, I guess, went back and collapsed. And then that's why they weren't out there in the morning because they were too <laughs> drunk and hung over. And I was like, I said to my wife, I'm like, what about their kids? Like their kids aren't drinking. And I don't know about your kids, but mine wake up pretty early, even on the weekend, you know, weekends, they might sleep till seven, seven thirty. But like what happens between when the kids wake up and when you're, able to get, I guess, reduce your hangover enough to go and start over again. I think that that's the massive appeal of these resorts being closed systems. Right. Because you can kick your kid out the door and you know, they're not gonna, you know, unless they like fall into a hole, there are tons of people around. They're not going to drown in the pool. You can kind of put your sunglasses on, come down and, and fall back asleep in a beach chair and, and feel like your kid has got, and I think looking at those resorts, my daughter would love them because of, like you say, the lazy river and the, yeah. the endless food. And, um, and I, and I feel a little bit bad almost that, that it isn't my instinct to take her to places like that because from her perspective, it has everything that she would ever need. Right. Instead, dad takes her on vacations where her 93 year old, uh, great uncle is working on his memoirs <laughs> and, you know, and there aren't other or many little kids around here and there's not a lazy river. We have to go all the way across the street to get to the beach, Dan. And she can't go across the street unless she's holding somebody's hand. Right. So, you know, there are all these restrictions. But it, it's it's interesting. Uh, the the You know, I have pretty strong feelings when I'm walking in a place and someone's walking the other way and I nod at them or smile at them or acknowledge them and they don't respond. You know, that they don't acknowledge somebody that they're walking ne- past on the street. I've. 
feel, you know, I was raised to tip my hat to everybody that I passed. Mm -hmm. And if it was morning to say good morning, and if it was afternoon to say good afternoon. And it's part of, I mean, it's, it's, um, when you're in places that people do that and that's the culture, it really does facilitate an easier day. You know, it's that kind of social lubricant makes it all more genteel and it just makes life smoother. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm in places where people don't do that, either you tip your hat and at them or, you know, nod and smile and they look right at you or right through you. Like no one has ever spoken to them before or places where people just don't look at each other. Those are, those are harder places for me to, to be. I mean, there I've visited, um, St. John in the Caribbean and it has, it's a, um, the vibe on the street there, it's a, you know, it's a majority black country Mm -hmm. and the vibe on the street there is just like no eye contact with tourists or, you know, gringos. And, and the, and the overall effect is it's, it's hard. It's a, it's an, it, it feels like a very unfriendly place compared to the island next door on either side where they have a more developed tourist culture and, you know, and I'm, uh, my, my interaction with all those Caribbean islands, it's always constrained by the fact that I'm there on the Jonathan Colton cruise or the, or the max fun cruise. And so I'm arriving as a member of a cruise and I try to venture out and get away from the, the center, but you know, you're still like, you're only there for a day. Right. You can't es- establish a real strong connection with what is going on in sure. this place. Sure, sure. I would like to tell you about Green Chef. What is Green Chef? Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans that fit every kind of lifestyle. Green Chef lets you choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow lifestyles with select organic ingredients, quick and easy recipes with those awesome step-by-step instructions that people like me and probably you need to cook something right. They have chef tips. They have photos to guide you along. Everything is hand-picked and delivered right to your door in pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped ingredients. And that's the cool thing about this is it shows up And it's like mostly ready to go. And it's organic. Pretty cool. The food is easy to eat. You're going to discover new recipes. And you're going to realize, like I did, that it actually can be fun to cook. You can switch up your meal plan whenever you're ready to try a new way to eat. And with Green Chef's wide variety of high-quality, clean ingredients, you can feel good about what you're eating and how it got to your table. The meal plans, check these out. They've got paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean, heart smart, lean and clean, keto, gluten-free, and omnivore. And their chef experts are designing flavorful recipes that match your lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's all there. I would just want to interject a statement here. I tried the paleo because we've been paleo for like eight, nine years now. So I tried the paleo ones and I also tried the gluten-free ones. They're really, really good. I, all this stuff showed up and my wife said, you know what? I'm going to try this one tonight. I'll try this one the next night. And she, we made a whole bunch of recipes and they were great. They're really great. And you don't have to worry. Oh, well, I couldn't use this ingredient because it wasn't paleo. I couldn't use this one. So I had to change the, no, none of that. And you're going to get 50 bucks off your first box of green chef. If you go to greenchef.us slash roadwork, that's it. Greenchef.us slash roadwork. You will get 50 bucks off your first box. So go check them out. Thanks very much to Green Chef. But here in Maui now, and I don't remember what it was like when I was a kid in this respect, but because it was a smaller place, I mean, the, the Hawaiian people have super strong feelings about white Americans. Um, even though, you know, white Americans are white. Europeans have been here since 
Captain Cook. <laughs> like it's a it's a complicated and not one hundred percent friendly relationship. Um, and in the seventies, you know, it felt much more like there were half the people here were Hawaiian and half the people here were people escaping from a marijuana bust back on the mainland. Right. But now, now it's just like a huge undifferentiated mass of white Americans. And when you, when you're walking, the vibe is do not look at each other. And it's such a strong vibe that it seems to transcend whatever the whatever the normal human thing of wh- whoever you're passing like probably in their own town their own small town they they might nod at you but if but somehow being on Maui as a white tourist like i i walked this 5 miles yesterday and passed probably 600 people like not i mean there were 25,000 people I walked within um, 300 yards of. Yeah. 600 people just passed me going the opposite direction. And maybe 20 made any acknowledgement of me. The rest of it, it just felt like um, that they were intentionally avoiding uh, like acknowledging other people or recognizing other people. So it, so it has the effect you're in this paradisical, um, resort environment, but every little small group of people, every family or every couple are really bubbled. Like they're there to do their vacation and whether they paid for it with points or whether this is what they save up all year to do, or, you know, however it is that they're there, they're in a bubble. And there are so many people, I guess, it would be very hard to, um, like, warmly embrace each person you, you walked past. But if you walk down the street in New York City and you happen to make eye contact with people, you acknowledge them for the most part. I mean, right. I do at least. Sure. And people there are very busy and also not friendly, but they don't, they don't just storm past you as a, as a collective culture, right? Some, a guy with a briefcase will storm past you, but the next person that you see will react to you a different way. Anyway, but it was hard for me to fault them because it really does feel intrinsic to what people are doing here. Like I felt myself kind of having to force myself to try to acknowledge people. If I had just, if I had just given up on my project, I could have happily walked past all of these dinglings and not looked at them. Um, so it's a, it's it, Maui is becoming a place on earth that has a, it's developing a, a culture. It's, it's like you're watching a culture evolve here that isn't Hawaiian culture, that isn't American culture, but is actually like tourist culture. And it, it, it doesn't matter who the actual people are when they get here, they adopt this tourist culture. And so the culture is the same. It's just being filled and refilled every day with it's being repopulated, but it's, but the culture is eternal somehow. It, it, it makes me question whether you know, if my uncle wasn't here every year, mm-hmm. would, would it, would this be where, where I came? Right. Would you still spend two or three weeks there? 
it's it's hard to because we don't you know we're not part of a resort we're living in a little house and and uh there are chickens obviously all around and you can pretend that it's still 1976 where we are I mean, I remember sitting inside here and watching the Jerry Lewis telethon with my dad <laughs> the day that Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis made up on national TV. Um, and, you know, at that point, there weren't so many fucking chickens, actually. There were more mongooses and fewer chickens. But, yeah, do I do I keep coming here? Is this my... Uh, is this like, and I, I think this is the the problem with all sort of middle class people who go on vacation as a pursuit. Um, are you locked in as a vacationer to some sort of intrinsic set of rules that just accompany you when you vacation, whether you try to break out of those places or not? You know, I I've tried for my whole life to get away from the resort and get into the town. But at a certain age, you start to feel like that is its own version of being a Western tourist or being a middle-class tourist in a place. Like there's always 5% of the, of the people who wake up in the morning and say, we've got to get out of this resort and get to meet the real people and get down on the street. Mm -hmm. And there, you can see them from a mile away too, the adventure tourists. Um, and then there are the people who are like, I never go to a resort. I just go to Costa Rica and live like a local. But the locals don't think that you are like them. You're just a tourist also. There's, there's, it's almost impossible to truly be a citizen of the world. And... And there are many versions of that too. Like, are you a citizen of the world with money? In which case you're not a citizen of the world. You're yeah. a person with money in the world. And if you're not in the world, if you're not, if you don't have money, then everybody recognizes you kind of as a pain in the ass. <laughs> like if you're traveling around and trying to have authentic experiences places and you aren't able to pay the locals the money that they're trying to earn then you just have that like kind of ugly um like almost moocher quality where you're like no 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 i don't want you know i don't want the big show i don't want to pay the money for the experience i'm just here to be like you guys and the locals just roll their eyes you know like dude we're not that's a not possible and b we don't want to be your friend like we're trying to earn a living and you're Obviously not from here. So we're hoping you're going to pay for the show. Frankly, mm -hmm. we don't, we don't want to take you around town for free because you think we're friends. So it's trying to figure out like, what am I looking for? Well, when yeah. I like leave? when you, when typically John, when you go to visit somewhere or stay somewhere, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Portland. I mean, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm talking about like a place like you're, you're in now what do you do? do you, is your normal MO to try and live like a local as much as you can? Or do you, do you say, you know what? I am a tourist here. And even though I've been coming here for 30 years or whatever, or 40 years, I'm, I'm still a tourist and that's okay. Or I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, this is again, not being a drinker, uh, fully 70% of all vacation oriented activities are, uh, you know, orient around icy drinks. Mm. And so the other 30% are activities, whale watch or nature hike or zip line or, um, local museums, uh, that type of thing. And those things are, you know, you, you can schedule one of those a day. Sure. Go out to the waterfall. Um, I loved going to the local museums in Cuba because they're wonderful and hilarious. But, you know, a local museum, like 
you, you can only get so much out of going to a local museum everywhere you go. And obviously if you have a kid, you're just, you're dragging them by the hair through those things. Um, traditionally what I've done is walk out the front door and just walk, walk all day. And because this is also what I did at home, I'm, I'm very comfortable sort of walking through other people's lives. I'm not trying to stop and get to know you really. I'm just sort of in motion and by virtue of being in motion, I'm trying to keep moving and get out of the way. And I'm, you know, I'm, I flatter myself that I'm taking in some semblance of what would ha be happening here if I weren't here to view it. You know, it's a little Heisenbergian, right? Like, what is this place like if I'm not here? Is it possible for me to see inside this box without changing the nature of the contents? And that's my game. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to walk up the, the alley, um, go through the barrio, and never feel completely unsafe. And so I've had the opportunity to visit a lot of places and not feel shoehorned into a completely curated experience that is being put on by a, a tourist operation meant to make people feel secure. Right. But I'm also not going places and sitting down in, in other people's world and imagining that I'm not changing the world by virtue of being there. I don't pretend that I'm invisible and I don't pretend that, that my presence isn't disruptive. Just, you know, just because I'm there hung hungering, um, and that's a great, that has always been uh, wonderful for me, perfect for me. Like even yesterday, walking through that resort, I was, it's not that I was walking through some small Hawaiian town where everyone is, is living an agricultural life and pretending that I don't belong. It's that I'm walking through a very expensive resort complex full of white Americans and also like trying not to disrupt their ecosystem yeah, and just, just perceiving as much as I can and kind of trying to solve. I'm always trying to solve for some, something. There's always an equation I'm trying to resolve. And, you know, being here with my uncle, he and I have, we don't have the same personality or anything close to it. I didn't have the same personality as my dad and my uncle and my dad were very different, but he is another person in my family who is never content. He does not look back on his life and feel contentment or he doesn't allow himself to feel proud of himself and watching him <clears throat> now sort of he's he's gradually becoming conscious that he's at the end of his life. Mm. And like my dad, he always behaved as though he would live forever. And my dad died at 87. And so had not fully acknowledged as he got closer to the end of his life, he he still was denying it. Now, it's, Uncle Jack has been working on this for more than five years, and he's arriving at a place where he's like, huh, this is, I'm coming close to the end. And so he's working hard to write his memoir, which is giving his, giving his life a sense of purpose. But he cannot resist, in writing it, um, trying to solve a 
a, a question, trying to resolve something. Who was I? Did I do good? Why, why was I like I was? That sounds like unsolvable, though. You know what I mean? Well, like, is, you it, never get to the bottom of that. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. I mean, I'm, I'm trying, and I'm <laughs> having no luck. Well, it was a real, it has been a real, I don't know if I can say eye-opener, because I haven't been reflecting very hard on it. I've been avoiding gazing too deeply into the mirror that he's holding up in front of me where I'm watching him struggle with these unresolvable questions and, and in a way irrelevant questions. And I'm not very comfortable seeing myself in those same questions because uncle Jack can't resolve anything. He's never going to know what he did, what his purpose here was. He's never going to know how great his impact was. And if he could, it would never, it doesn't offer him any relief, right? If you yeah. could know um, how important or unimportant you were, what does that change? And he lived at a, you know, on a, incredible life, an unduplicatable one. You know what I mean? He arrived in Alaska in 1950 and he had just graduated from Yale. He was a, a national f sort of football star. He was Yale's star tight end. He went to college with William F. Buckley and George Herbert Walker Bush and, you know, those were the guys in his class. He's always pulling somebody out where, <laughs> it, you know, they'll be talking about some historical figure. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I knew him. And you're just like, oh, I bet, you know, I bet you did. He's got all these, like, firsthand impressions. You know, if, if George Bush comes up in conversation, he's like, you know, Barbara was such a nice lady. <laughs> even then, even then, she was a very gentle woman. But George was a snob and you're like, huh, tell me more. Like that seems, that's what I would have gleaned from watching them on the public stage. But I didn't know them when they were 24, you know, but he was in Alaska long before statehood and was part of the generation of, you know, mid 20th century pioneers that ushered the state into existence and initially populated it with institutions, banks, newspapers, uh, universities, insurance companies, like all those things before my uncle and his generation arrived there were, you know, it was just sort of thrown together. And his group of friends, his peers, mm -hmm are the ones that started the first newspaper, started the first bank, started the first insurance company. I mean, my, he and a partner started the second title insurance company in Alaska. And, you know, I don't think you could find the living person who started the second title insurance company in Chicago because that happened a long, long time ago. Um, so it's, it's always been interesting for me to be connected to that generation of Alaskans because you can see the beginning of a, you can kind of see the beginning of Western civilization, the, the institutions of capitalist America at their, you know, at their, their point of generation. And so as uncle Jack reviews his life, well, there are a lot of great moments, a lot of great stories. He was there. He was there for the very early days of oil exploration. He had lots and he personally like had lots and lots of oil leases around the state and none of them ever hit pay dirt. So, but it, 
but it was happening all around him. So there were, there was this feeling for the middle part of his life that he was just one oil strike away from being a, a billionaire right. or a multimillionaire. Um, he was law partners with Ted Stevens, who was appointed to the U.S. Senate while he and my uncle shared a law office. And then Ted became, you know, one of the longest serving U.S. senators. And he and Uncle Jack were, you know, like into, he, he, the two of them and their wives were intimately close with one another. So, so Jack is trying to figure out that relationship because my uncle was a, I mean, Jack was a liberal and Ted Stevens was a, was a conservative and Jack is very liberal and Stevens was very conservative and yet they maintained this friendship for their whole adult lives. There were lots of things they agreed not to talk about, but when it came to, um, what they were going to do this afternoon, it was the four, the four of them were going to sit around and, and, uh, try on funny hats, you know, we would like to say thanks to keeps. Now listen, losing your hair sucks. It kind of sucks. Two out of three guys will experience hair loss by the time they're 35. Is it you? Am I describing you? Describing me? Am I describing you? This is where Keeps comes in. This is the easiest and most affordable way to keep the hair you have. These FDA approved products, they used to cost so much, but now thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes now and starting at just 10 bucks a month, you will never have to worry about hair loss again. And getting started with Keeps is super easy. It takes less than five minutes to sign up. You just answer a few questions. You snap some photos of your hair and a licensed physician looks at this. They look at your info, they look at the picture and then they recommend the right treatment for you. And then it's shipped right to your door every three months. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there. Some of you have probably tried them before, but you've never gotten them for this price. Keeps is only 10 to 35 bucks a month. Plus, now you can get your first month free. A great deal for getting to keep your hair, right? So to receive your first month of treatment for free, go to Keeps, K-E-E-P-S, Keeps.com slash roadwork. Keeps.com slash roadwork, and you'll get a free month of treatment. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. Go check them out. Thanks, Keeps. But as he as he records all these stories, which are all great and i think anybody would want to hear them the reason he's doing it is to try and find an answer <clears throat> to a question that he can't articulate other than why what is this all and why and did i did i do did i do well well that's what drives me every day it drives me to ruin every day. And, uh, and I see, I see it in him as something somewhat intrinsic to him because it's in my sister too. Mm. And there are lots of people in my family that don't have it, that are, that are proud of themselves. Some of them too proud of themselves, but there are others of us who really labor under this. And, uh, you know, and, and I used to, I used to yell at my dad and I'm, and I yell at my uncle because that's how we communicate in this family. And I say, what, you know, you did great. Just write the story down, make it, make it, um, you know, get it down so that people know that it happened. Like, that's what's interesting. Don't worry about who it helps or whether you did a good job. You can't know those things. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to evaluate those things. Just do the, just do the work. But, boy, we don't know how to do that. And, and he will pass on to the other side unresolved. Like, there's... There's no chance, just as there wasn't with my dad, that he will, in the final accounting, 
lay back and go, I did well. And I'm, and I'm ready to be released. He will, you know, as he lay dying, he will say, there's one more thing that one more question I need to ask about, uh, what the point of this was. And then he'll, then he'll see a bright light and walk down a tunnel. Still probably asking who, where am I going? I have things to do. And I don't know what, I don't know what my takeaway. I was about to say, I don't know what my takeaway should be, but like, that's part of the problem. It just, it shouldn't, it's not that it should be anything. How do I, how do I take that, uh, perception and apply it to myself so that I have more aloha so that I am just floating in the ocean and looking out at the horizon and feel that completeness even for a little while, how to find that completeness in every day without resorting to Eastern mysticism Mm -hmm. without, uh, adopting what feels to me like a foreign practice. And everywhere I go in the world today, the solution to my problem is offered as some version of either an Eastern practice or an ancient practice, some like intentional effort to push out the mind. that all feel foreign to me, like adopting a foreign custom. So I'm, so I'm stuck in a world where I'm, where my own, I'm bound by my own custom, which makes me, uh, perpetually unhappy or incomplete, but also sort of unwilling or un or incapable of, embracing another custom just because there are, because it's, it's popular currently or popular in the, in the last 40 years or other people have trod, trod a path and are looking back and saying, Hey, I found this, you know, come this way. And I'm like, never, I go out and walk on my own. I'm not a tourism. I'm not a tourist of Buddhism or a tourism of Buddhist. (laughs) Um, I think that's what, that's what you call a, a large group of people that are doing yoga. It's a tourism of Buddhist, Buddhist. So I don't know. I, I know that I want these chickens to die. I won't feel sorry. Although here, this rooster is coming up on the, on the lanai here and he's coming close to me now. He's very beautiful. Can you get a picture of him for the show art? He's very beautiful, but I also know that he is probably the one who in the middle of the night is crowing at me saying, (laughs) and I really don't like him. Oh, here comes his bride. Take a picture. He had a picture. Yeah, I'm getting a picture. Hey. Yeah. All right. They're beautiful. They really are. They're gorgeous birds, but they're, you know, they're dumber than stones. 